At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We stay the course! We are dead! We are all dead! We're supposed to make the world a better place. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane! Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction! Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy Heresies and welcome to the Desert of the Real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the audio version of AB Live. This one, episode 71. Ron censored and unfiltered. Just like the truth you've been looking for across all your existences. Supercharged by stellar audience participation. Mitch Horowitz materialized at the Virtual Alexandria to discuss the new documentary, The Cavalian. He discussed his role in the film, including his experiences visiting Egypt, as well as the text itself. Is it hermetic, genuine, or a later writing? What is the, quote, religion of the mind, as occultists and mystics refer to hermeticism? We discuss other esoteric topics, including his latest findings on ESP, and for some reason, the Gnosis of the Rock Band Kiss. Thank you as always to those of you who support this Red Pill Cafeteria. You are amazing and your support, company, and feedback keep the Gnostic promise alive. Don't go anywhere. Next up is a Finding Hermes with Becca Tarnas sharing therapeutic insights from Tolkien and Jung as well as overcoming grief in life and these Gnostic times in general. And just in time, we need Gnosis more than ever. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or many of my guests and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. 
The speaker calendar and pyramid tour are now available for the Astronosis Conference, as well as sponsorship opportunities if you're interested in promoting your book, brand, or organization. That includes speaker opportunities. The calendar includes a cool party at the end of the first day and topics ranging from archons as aliens to Gnostic cosmologies to the state of ufology today and more. And the discussion groups will be astral. Astronosis is a three-day event of presentations and panels from the best minds in ufology, Gnosticism, and alternative history as well as experiential discussions and rituals. This is the one chance we all can have to finally hang out for many cool social events. Truly hope to see you there in the Cancun area at the end of March. Let us to our latest AB Live. But first, unless you want to skip about four minutes of one of the best hermetic speeches in all modern entertainment. Aaron's moving soliloquy from Midnight Mass. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. Myself. That's the problem. That's the whole problem with the whole thing. That word. Self. That's not the word. That's not right. That isn't. That isn't. How did I forget that? When did I forget that? The body stops a cell at a time, but the brain keeps firing those neurons. Little lightning bolts like fireworks inside, and I thought I'd despair or feel afraid, but I don't feel any of that. None of it. Because I'm too busy. I'm too busy in this moment, remembering. Of course. I remember that every atom in my body was forged in a star. This matter, this body, is mostly just empty space, after all. And solid matter? It's just energy vibrating very slowly, and there is no me. There never was. The electrons of my body mingle and dance with the electrons of the ground below me and the air. I'm no longer breathing. And I remember. There is no point where any of that ends. And I begin. I remember I am energy, not memory, not self. My name, my personality, my choices all came after me. I was before them and I will be after and everything else is pictures picked up along the way. Fleeting little dreamlets printed on the tissue of my dying brain. And I am the lightning that jumps between. I am the energy firing the neurons and I'm returning. Just by remembering, I'm returning home. It's like a drop of water falling back into the ocean, of which it's 
always been apart. All things apart. All of us apart. You, me, and my little girl, and my mother, and my father, everyone who's ever been, every plant, every animal, every atom, every star, every galaxy, all of it. More galaxies in the universe than grains of sand on the beach, and that's what we're talking about when we say God. The one. The cosmos and its infinite dreams. We are the cosmos dreaming of itself. It's simply a dream that I think is my life every time. But I'll forget this. I always do. I always forget my dreams. But now, in this split second, in the moment I remember, the instant I remember I comprehend everything at once. There is no time. There is no death. Life is a dream. It's a wish. Made again and again and again and again and again and again and on into eternity. And I am all of it. I am everything. I am all. Welcome, everybody. We are officially live. Welcome to the Desert of the Real. As always, my name is Miguel Connor, and I shall be your pompous of Gnosis. I hope you've got, uh, yeah, your birdie num-num and your nipples for men uh, with us tonight. And I'm going to just say it right now because I want uh, my first question is, hello, Mitch Horowitz, my friend and one of my favorite researchers. How are you? And are you a Peter Sellers fan? Uh, I'm doing great. It's good to see you, man. And yes, I am a Peter Sellers fan. When I was a kid, dad and I used to bond over the uh, Pink Panther movies. So that's affirmative. Yes, indeed. Kito, Kito. I don't know if you can make this type of movie anymore. Everything's so politically incorrect today, right? You can't even say that. You're not coming back next week. I know, I know. I'm going to get uh, a strike on YouTube. I already have plenty of those strikes on YouTube. And somehow Peter Sellers got away with Brownface in the movie The Party. But he was a character actor, so he played a lot of people. But again different times very different times and yes somebody in the chat room already noticed the cool kiss shirt because oh, yeah. mitch and i uh, we're concocting a plan to raise money from hollywood to do a big budget film of kisses the elder right mitch i think it's time hollywood is just is just waiting for this there <laughs> there are companies that uh, can't wait to meet their budget for you know whatever shell corporation owns them <laughs> Right off money through, to China. You know, right. <laughs> Our funding of this. <laughs> but it's, yeah, Songs I like the, the album. I, I'll yeah, admit, I like the album. It's due for a comeback. It's due. This is a vintage shirt uh, that was bought for me as a birthday gift. And um, I'll turn my back for just a minute so that your viewers can, can see the back of the shirt. Is that all right? Let's do it. Yeah. There you go. Kiss the single album. Little glimpse. Yeah. yeah. It's an oldie. Yeah. How many times have you seen Kiss live? I've seen him live twice, one without makeup and one with makeup. 
I've seen them live exactly once. It was just before the lockdown, and it was here in Brooklyn at Barclays Center. I'd never seen them before, and it was kind of a dream come true. Yeah, they're really great entertainers. Yeah. You can tell they love what they're doing every second. They love their audience. They it's do. So obvious. They love their audience. And, you know, if I had one gripe about the show, it's that it's so structured that the bandmates are unable to do much in the way of impromptu behavior on stage. So it's like, you know, the guys might be getting into a song together and then they've got to ditch one another and run to the other part of the stage for their light cue, you know? So, (laughs) but you forgive these things. It's kiss. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure even the spitting, the fire and the blood has to be timed at a perfect, you know, Gene Simmons can't be spitting blood out when Peter Chris is singing Beth or something, you know, something like that. Yeah. 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 Or whoever is doing it. I did get a letter from Peter Chris. I think we should spend the whole hour discussing kiss. Um, (laughs) Yeah. um, Screw spiritual enlightenment. (laughs) I, uh, right. Exactly. I wrote about, I wrote about, uh, Peter Chris, uh, wrote a, a memoir from makeup to breakup. And it's really very, good and um i wrote a book called secrets of self-mastery and i quoted peter talking about how the bandmates when they were first pulling the band together found that the makeup had a really transformative effect on their personalities not just as stage presences but once they wore that makeup they felt like they were occupying a different skin and they felt very disinhibited and he said it really gelled our performances as a band. And I said, you know, there's a lesson there that you you ought to think about. You know, we in the spiritual community tend to think of the outer as something that you grow less and less attached to as you progress or what have you. But what he was pointing out is that he felt that the outer brought out some essential traits that were there in them that they, they were inhibited from tapping into. So I quoted him and uh, one thing led to another, and I got this really lovely letter from him, and uh, awesome. I was I was really moved. In fact, I kind of went a little crazy when I got it. Oh, so, I would have yeah. too. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Jung talks a healthy persona matters. Fake it till you make it. Yeah, yeah. You're 100 percent right. We, and we've missed that in the new age occult circles. We've missed mm-hmm. that, that. I do. You know, I mean, cosplay your way to something better why not right yeah well it's interesting you know because people walk around we all walk around feeling like there are these traits in us that are essential that we're not able to act on and then people come at us with these ridiculous expressions like just be yourself as if you know we know how to do that and (laughs) it's like well to be myself how do i get rid of everything that's supposed to be not me but you know what i was inspired by peter's anecdote was the idea that through a kind of secular rite and ritual, which for the bandmates was putting on this makeup. And we've seen this in religious traditions all throughout history, you know, donning mm-hmm. special robes, vestments, yeah. and ceremony and such. They were bringing out something of themselves. Yeah, very true. They were playing with the images, the archetypal images. So, yeah, yeah. Well, awesome. Well, if anybody out there has a, wants to write us a big check, kiss the elder, the movie, look at all the shit that they're remaking and failing from Cowboy Bebop to He-Man to... I, no, they're going to do the remake of the Highlander with the Superman guy. That Well, let's see how that goes. Yeah, They'll be begging us for the elder. Beg, yeah. Begging us yeah. you know, in a few months. Do the elder. Yeah, I feel good about it. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Same here, same here. <laughs> and with us, too, is always glad to have the Moondog Vance. Vance, what do you think? Are you Were you a Kiss fan? 
No, no. And it's like, I, I always wondered if they had to bring cat litter on stage, you know, for the, the kitty cat guy, <laughs> or if they had a, a high budget for rocket fuel <laughs> for the star man. But no, that wasn't it. My brother was, but I was, I'm, I, I think I, that was kind of after my time, you know. Oh, well. I, I wasn't as a kid, a kiss fan. I thought kiss at that time was everything that was wrong with rock and roll. You know, it's into the Ramones and the dead Kennedys and the sex pistols. Yeah. Like, all right. You know, yeah. Fuck these guys. You know, I mean, this is, I didn't <laughs> like commercial. it. But then as I got older, you know, I don't know. I just, who knows what it is, why the road turns, but the road turned back to kiss. And I felt totally differently. Well, look at what's going on today and look at kiss. Hey, kiss looks great. Yeah. <laughs> and Gene, Gene Simmons is always, always fun though. He's, He's uh, in a bunch of movies too. Yeah. I always liked seeing him. I was wondering if the people in the front row were there, you know, hoping that the, his tongue would reach out, you know, and tap him on the head or something. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I see the, we're already getting a lot of people in the audience. Again, we will try to get you to your questions, write them in all caps, put a lot of question marks. If you do a, that, chat super chat blah 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 you'll get put up at the top but tonight we will be discussing the kibalion mitch's new documentary and i have to say i was completely blown away Thank when you. i thought a small independent uh documentary i thought it'd be like oh they made it with adobe premiere they use stock footage from all these you know your typical youtube uh document which are they're great if they're right but this was i was like Oh my God, this is Jurassic Park. Spare no expense. It looks good. It feels good. It's moving. It was a it was a really great documentary, Mitch. So thanks. Uh, good job. Oh, I appreciate it. And and a, a, a lot of that credit goes to our director, Ronnie Thomas. Ronnie started out at Trauma Films and he just knows how it's done. And you know, we we had a decent budget, but, you know, we still had to work very carefully with it. And it was still a piece of guerrilla filmmaking. And he got us to Egypt and we shot on location in Egypt. And, you know, we were there in 2019 before the world locked down. And it it fulfilled a dream. It fulfilled a dream. You know, I, I never thought I'd be shooting a movie in Egypt. I never thought I'd be shooting a movie by the monuments. And um, it was thrilling to me. Yeah. And how did this come about? I pictured you were... You were at a Starbucks drinking shitty coffee, eating <laughs> avocado toast. You saw some producer, and he, he went to the bathroom, and you slipped the script under his uh, the stall while he was for, going to the bathroom. Something for kiss, like that. For kiss the elder. <laughs> oh, and it all got mixed betrayed. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, it's funny. Um, years ago, I encountered the book The Kabbalion, and and. At the time when I first encountered it, probably 15 years ago, I thought to myself, as many people do, oh, man, this is just some early 20th century occult novelty that dresses up uh, new thought philosophy and Cleopatra garb and presents it as ancient wisdom. <laughs> and, you know, I thought the book had some 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 good psycho spiritual insights, but I, I, I didn't really fall into it. And through a, a weird variety of circumstances, I wound up returning to the book. And there was one summer where I read it about five times consecutively. And probably because I actually knew more about Hermeticism at that point, I realized that the author in his way, uh, William Walker Atkinson, who wrote under the dramatic pseudonym Three Initiates, he really did make an effort to distill certain psychological insights from Hermeticism based on the Victorian era translations that he had, and he combined it with some of his 
own very shrewd insights into human nature. And I, I started to realize he created something more than I had first realized. And Ronnie and I had collaborated on certain screen projects before, and we were able to find an investor based on the extraordinary popularity of the book. It's probably one of the most popular underground books ever written. And uh, before long, we were actually off and running, making the movie. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I was thinking too, I was one of those kind of cynical, this is not really hermetic, it's new age, blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of a, I don't know, call it a straw man, because let's face it, as you and I have talked to April DeConnick, the hermetics and the Gnostics simply they were handed over this ancient Egyptian mystery that was dying, if not for them. You know, they took on the wisdom of thoughts because the Greco-Roman world was crushing all of this, and they sort of repackaged it and made it their own. Then, yeah, obviously, yeah, exactly. But, you know, Deuteronomy wasn't written by Moses. He didn't write about <laughs> his own death. That right. There's no tax collector who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, no mystic who wrote the Gospel of Thomas. So the idea of a forgery seems almost... A straw man, you think? I mean, what is a forgery? They're all forgeries, or they're not yeah. forgeries. It's funny. I mean, Jesus Hermetic never wrote anything. We know right, that. right. Her Hermeticism itself was considered for many, many centuries in the Western world an illegitimate philosophy that had mm -hmm. been wrongly dated to deep antiquity, and it was from late antiquity and probably up until about the 1980s, most scholars who even studied these things insisted that there was no Egyptian content to classical Hermeticism at all. It was just Neoplatonism dressed up in Egyptian garb, just like I thought about mm -hmm. the Kabbalion, you know, this new thought dressed up in Egyptian garb. And it's really only been since the 80s, uh, at least within the academic world, that Hermeticism has come to be understood as an authentic expression of certain ancient Egyptian ideas combined mm -hmm. with certain Neoplatonic ideas. And for many, many years, it's part of the reason why there's been such a paucity of good translations until very recently. We're lucky in our era, in our generation, we actually have some very fine translations. But Earlier in the 20th century, Hermeticism was completely neglected because it was re it was regarded as a mutt. It was regarded as sort of this mongrel philosophy that really wasn't authentically attached to Egyptian antiquity. That was kind of a little bit of a sham. So you know, today people sometimes try to signal their seriousness by saying they're Kabbalion. That's a bunch of bullshit. And it's like, no, it's not bullshit. It's a modern novelty. And at one time, you know, you could even say that Hermeticism was an antique novelty. And it mm -hmm. turned out that antique novelty, which was written down by people who were really Greek scribes who were part of an administrative overclass that had ruled Egypt since Alexander the Great through a, a, a Greek era and then later through a, uh, an era of Roman military uh, domination. I mean, they themselves were not what you would consider to be uh, native Egyptian or part of an ancient Egyptian lineage. They were part of an administrative overclass from the West and they wrote this stuff down and in so doing created an incredibly important retention for us, which, which for a certain period of time during the Renaissance was elevated. Then when its timeline was, was, was post-dated correctly to late antiquity and it was discovered this stuff wasn't really all that old in terms of, you know, how we think about Egyptian antiquity, uh, it was considered a fraud, a fake a farce. And it was only into the 20th century that that point of view got revised. So we have to be very careful about what we say is or isn't real hermeticism. That That is not quite the right historical focus. 
Yeah, it's like saying, is a course in miracles real Christianity? Yeah, right. it's Christianity is just tweaked for our modern, or even Heaven's Gate. Well, Heaven's Gate's kind of like Gnosticism, <laughs> UFO, death, all that. But those are real Christianities. I mean, the Kabbalah yep. is still seen as a false Judaism by many Jews, but it obviously is real Judaism. Right, and look at uh, Swedenborgianism. You know, there are, there are churches organized around Swedenborg's theology. There are some people who consider that, you know, to be woo-woo nonsense. And then you have this group of people, not very large, but global, who, to whom that theology is so profoundly important. Mm -hmm. And I guess at the end of the day is, uh, does it help? And the, the Kibalian has is, is really helped a lot of people. I know a lot of people swear by it. Mm -hmm. It's just, mm -hmm. uh, it's, I liked it a lot. Yeah, it has power. You know, I, I was, um, years ago when I was in my rejectionist phase, uh, I remarked to a pretty widely known religious scholar that, uh, the Kabbalion, oh, you know, I said something to him along the lines of, yeah, that's just, you know, kind of new thought, you know, dressed up like Antony and Cleopatra or something. <laughs> and uh, and he said to me, you know, uh, there are some good ideas in that little book. And that was all, you know, but just that statement coming from somebody who came from a pretty mainstream place of religious philosophy got me thinking, maybe I should dip my toe back into it. And I did. Mm, good deal. And we got a very cool documentary. Well, I wanted to play off the bat a uh, scene that I took off, which was very powerful. Uh, again, I mean, you guys, the, and then we can talk about what the movie is or how you decide to do the structure because, uh, again, some of it is visually uh, powerful and I'm glad it's not pink clouds and love and light. There's some pretty visceral scenes moving mm -hmm. in there, but some touching scenes. It's got a little of everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, where's that? Where's my media brand media? Here's a scene for you guys from Mitch's new documentary. Here we go. The all is mind. The universe is mental. As above, so below. As below, so above. Nothing rests. Everything moves. Everything vibrates. Everything is dual. Everything has poles. Everything has its pair of opposites. Like and unlike are the same. Opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. Extremes meet. All truths are but half-truths. All paradoxes may be reconciled. Everything flows out and in. Everything has its tides. All things rise and fall. The pendulum swing manifests in everything. The measure of the swing to the right is the measure of the swing to the left. Rhythm compensates. Every cause has its effect. Every effect has its cause. Everything happens according to law. Chance is but a name for law not recognized. There are many planes of causation, but nothing escapes the law. Gender is in everything. Everything has its masculine and feminine principles. Gender manifests on all planes. Very 
cool. And for you guys in the audience, as you can see, this documentary isn't just your typical, and this book was written in this time and published and it's affected and, you know, the usual thing. This is a, it's a very different documentary explaining the seven principles. You want to explain to the audience how you came up with this structure where you show the principles and then there's these this uh, story of this priest that they saw and then the, the the man and the woman, what they represent and all that? Sure. We made an effort to uh, dramatize the principles in a way that is not entirely abstract, but that uses what might be considered a timeless passion play between two figures, a man and a woman, with a priest kind of mediating between them. And you've got what might, in classical terms, be considered an active force, a passive force, and a reconciling force. And so we tried to act out that theme, which is at the heart of many of the book's chapters, and also not get overly attached to, you know, as you were just saying, sort of standing there and saying, well, so then he came up with this idea and, (laughs) you know, asking ourselves how to act that out, you know, and we didn't want to show, you know, clicking hands on a clock or something like that, or, you know, click clack balls going back and forth to represent <laughs> rhythm. You know, we wanted yeah, yeah. to try to do something else. And there are also seven interviews in the movie with people who are, I think, virtuistic in their fields, including like uh, Ray Moody, the physician who coined the term uh, near-death experience, people who work with alchemy, astrology, mediumship, channeling, tarot, all of whom I think are exceptional and striking people. And they talk about how some of the principles in the book uh, reflect upon some of their practices and, and craft. Yeah, so basically you explain the seven principles by finding, you found seven individuals who are at the height of their career or mm-hmm. in the esoterica, and you said this person represents rhythm, gender, and then you begin to talk about their lives and their work. Yeah, exactly. Like, for example, the clip that you showed contains one of my favorite terms from the Kabbalion, and that is rhythm compensates. And there is this idea inherent within the book, which you also find in in Emerson, you find it in Nietzsche, you find it in other modern sources, this idea that, that life is composed of these kind of polarizing vectors and that when something happens to you that that begets suffering that suffering is also going to beget something that will function as some kind of compensation at least that's the ideal that's the ideal and people always like to play the game of wondering what would they like to change in their life what would they like to get rid of and we have to be very careful with that game because if 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 we're not these linear beings that we think we are and life is more simultaneous, be careful because there could be things that were sources of suffering that actually were sources of great refinement. I mean, what else brings maturity but but friction and 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 need and and compensation. So the the idea of rhythm being compensatory is something that I really valued in the book. So I, I appreciated your choosing that 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 section. And actually we talked uh in that case to um a very gifted hypnotherapist who does past life regression. And he spoke about the rhythm that may be possible between um, demise and, 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 and consciousness. And, and, and that, you know, it's not as if consciousness necessarily just ends in such a pat way, but if we understand rhythm as being something that's interdimensional and universal, it's possible that uh, 
that there's something that goes that goes on, you know, beyond our our physical uh, deterioration. I like how you, the the tagline "the universe is mental," which of course plays to the Hermetic, where the undivided unconscious, but it does play to the Christian Gnostics, who would say, "Yes, Mitch, the universe is batshit crazy." It is yeah, mental. exactly. I <laughs> wondered about that double entendre. <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie came up with that. And I always liked it very, very much. But then, like, sometime about six months later, I thought, "Are we saying that the universe is batshit?" <laughs> so, <laughs> It was too late. It is too late. But I like it very much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you have some great guests, again, um, and they have really good insights. For example, you have for The Alchemist, one of the principles principles you've got Brian Cotenois, who has been on the show. And he's a chemist. He's a scientist who's also an alchemist. So he knows this stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant guy. I just bought a short a short book of Brian's on the, the history of the golem, and uh, that was fascinating because when you read someone like Brian writing about the golem, you're getting somebody who has his arms around the history with such totality, and it was just it was just beautiful. His was one of my favorite interviews. Yeah, they're all very good, um, but how Brian talks very uh, very well on the entire universe is an alchemical process, and. He had he has a lot of insights. For example, he talked about well, why does he do these alchemical experiments all the time? And he's like, you keep doing it over and over, repetition, like a scientist. Then you'll find out that it will appear in a dream. You'll be doing this alchemical experiment in your dream. That's where the gold is because you follow that experiment in your dream to where it's going to lead. That's where the inner growth is and the inner insights and you know, breaking out into the mm-hmm. all. So mm-hmm. brilliant stuff he came up with in that. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, his is the second interview uh, in the film, and, and I think it's it's one of the high points. Mm-hmm. Well, they're all good. I think even Vance yeah. and I were talking. Uh, we really liked, again, the, what you mentioned, Dr. R- Raymond Moody. Moody. And it was just amazing how he had his students create these, like, places where they could talk to their ancestors at this university, these experiments with the mirrors and all that. Yeah. How is students have, there you go, had experiences talking to their ancestors right there. I was like, that's amazing. Cause I'm sure you agree. If there's one thing we've done wrong in our Western societies, we do not honor or talk to our ancestors enough. Yeah. It's interesting. I, um, several years ago, I visited, uh, Avebury in England and, um, Underneath some of the burial mounds, there are these uh, caverns, which were uh, funerary caverns where the dead were placed. And archaeologists have discovered um, plates and vases and cups that were left there. And they weren't necessarily believed that they weren't necessarily left so that the dead could bring food and libations to the afterlife. But family members would go and have what we would consider picnics, you know, at these crypts or these places of internment, you know, there wasn't this attitude that death is this absolute point of separation, but death was obviously people, people lived shorter lives. Uh, we were physically, um, in danger a lot of the time, even if that danger just came from drought or natural conditions or disease, death was such a palpable presence. And you couldn't just take this attitude that, life and death were these completely binary things because you'd almost be truncating your own existence to do that because death was so present and palpable and it it touched every household constantly. I mean, think of the numbers of 
children who were lost. Tragic as it was, you couldn't just view existence as totally binary without falling into despair. Yeah, good point. But uh, I mean, I'm sure you agree. The problem is it's the pendulum is swung. Yeah, we have more life, but becoming afraid of death has kind of made us not live. Yeah, it's it's an odd thing. You know, I mean, I guess our society is is about to embark on a very big conversation about risk aversion, because <laughs> one, one way or another, this lockdown is winding down. At least I presume it's so. I mean, I could be wrong. You know, um, <laughs> we could be talking in 10 years and be like, yep, still locked down. But but if if this lockdown is winding down, then we as a community, as a human community, have to have a conversation about risk aversion, because at some point that line is going to get drawn and wherever it gets drawn, it's going to be gray. It's simply going to be gray. You know, we, we, we don't have any other way. And so we're going to have to confront what our, what our values are at that point. Yeah, indeed, indeed. It's always a big wake up call. These things that happen so much going on. And uh, speaking of the dead, tell us about your trip to Egypt and what you did there. Did you have any, um, Alistair Crowley or Brendan Fraser moments while you were there? How was the trip? <laughs> well, the trip was wonderful. And it's funny in Egypt, um, when they figure out at a certain point that you have occult interests or esoteric interests, uh, they refer to you as a meditator. They're like, oh, you're a meditator. Like, <laughs> that's their term. <laughs> like, well, I do meditate. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to object to that uh, you know, <laughs> label, I suppose. Um, so once they, once they, you know, zero in on the idea that you're a meditator, then they have a better sense of maybe what you want to see. Um, we did get to go deep off the beaten path at certain points. Uh, Ronnie and I went into a small temple uh, to the cat goddess uh, Sekhmet. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, the temple complex at Karnak. And look, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of paying people, you know, to do these things. I mean, people are entitled to earn a living, and there was this tiny temple to Sekhmet uh, that was off the beaten path. One of our guides brought us there and there was a, a soldier with an automatic rifle out front uh, guarding the temple and there was a, a robed man who was the guide and you're expected to pay them off and you get to go inside and you get to do a ritual and you know wow. it's you just have to meet life as it is and um, actually I have right here in my studio a, a lovely statuette of Bastet that was given to me as a gift while I was in Egypt, oh, and um, awesome. this survived the trip uh, all the way back from Cairo to JFK in my suitcase. But once it got <laughs> back in, in New York, my children managed to knock it over, not once, but twice, but <laughs> twice. So, oh, man. yeah. So as the Zen Buddhists say, there's a crack in everything creation made. And so we know that to be the case. But I very lovingly glued Bastet back together. And um, uh, this statuette is a frequent presence uh, here in my studio. Oh, awesome. Yeah, well, I wouldn't be surprised you uh, would be seen as a meditator because you were dressed as you usually were. I said, you're all in black. I'm like, oh, my God, in that sun, and there's mid yeah. leather jacket, all in black. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we made a lot of friends. <laughs> People wanted to take pictures and, you know, and I mean, it was it was wonderful. It, it's 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 tough, though. You know, you, you can't I mean, if you're, you know immediately identifiable as, 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 as a Westerner. Um, even if you know the streets, you know, you, you really do need a guide you know, to go around. And, um, 
know, people have to deal with, with tough realities. And that's why when it came to like paying to go to sacred sites and things like that, I didn't have any objection to it because the individual needs to earn a living. And uh, we were able to see some amazing things that way. Yeah. Well, I had some friends go a few years ago, maybe four years ago. And when they went to see all the place, the pyramids and all that, uh, when they got to Egypt, somebody in the government says, always tell people you're Canadian, not American. Did you experience anything like that? It was, I think it was a during time. It was, I think it was before Trump with Obama intentions were high. I have heard that. Um, much to my surprise, uh, we were at a temple complex once and, um, it's funny. I, I don't know. You know, there's a group of kids that must have realized that we were American. I guess, you know, we can't fake it. Maybe it was the kiss t-shirt and uh, <laughs> they started mobbing around us yelling, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. <laughs> so it wasn't the reception I was expecting, but they were very happy, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, po politics, uh, uh, not that I mean to get into geopolitical stuff, but you know, politics in Egypt are very, very complex and the, you know, who, you're talking to and and who they see as somebody who's undergirding stability in their society is very much going to depend upon, you know, what stake they feel they have in the current government. So, you know, the, the leader in Egypt, Sisi, um, is seen by some people there as a, a guardian of stability. And, you know, people, in fact, who work in the tourist business or people who maybe want closer ties to the West or people who are Christian, who are, you know, not infrequently targets uh, in Egypt. Um, they may see CC as a source of stability and they saw Trump as being kind of having CC's back. And, you know, no. it, the, it, you know, this, you know, I mean, the world is so complex. You go traveling and nothing fits the paper cutout doll picture that we have of the world. You know, people are, are just very complex. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, we all want Egypt to be like it was 3,000 years ago. I'm sure we could all agree on that. <laughs> the great place, yeah, like you said um, in the documentary, when the Greeks discovered the Egyptians, they'd been around so long, it's as us discovering the ancient Greeks. That's exactly. Like they were, the Egyptians were always an ancient, hallowed, source of everything culture for them it's it's so extraordinary you know when you think about it i mean even if you adopt the most conservative timeline egypt was around for millennia longer than what we consider to be western civilization or modern western civilization and one can only imagine how little we know you know the different permutations and ideas and politics and religious attitudes and technologies and needs that went met that went unmet you know unfolding over the course of just literally millennia. And, and the Greeks themselves were absolutely in awe of the Egyptians. They felt, wow, here is the Ur civilization, the primeval civilization, which was probably correct. And they felt this is the place where, where we have to do our learning. And, 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 and yeah, I mean, Herodotus found the pyramids and they were as old to him as, as he is to us. Yeah. And maybe more so, maybe more so. Yeah, incredible sense of perspective. Well, uh, Vance, do you have a question, comment about the movie or question from the audience? Well, uh, one, the first question I've got, I, I had this myself, but Oracle Weird um, wanted to know if you played any of the tribal cultists in the movie. Oh, no, no, I, <laughs> I didn't. Uh, the horn guy, the, the, the vibrating guy. Oh, no, no. <laughs> that was shot in Atlanta. Um, and oh. uh, and um, 
And no, no, they're, 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 those were very talented actors. Uh, I, I only play myself in the movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the also, scenes where you're narrating, are you here in the United States or were you in Egypt? Actually, It's both. There? It's both. both. We, did, okay, we okay. did some of the interviews and narration in Egypt. We did some of the voiceover in Egypt. And we did some of it here back home with some of the footage that we shot from Egypt. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Yeah, Oracle wanted also to know if you felt guided to uh, to do the uh, movie on uh, the Cabalion. Well, I wouldn't say I felt guided, but I... Look, you know, I'm going to share a story, and and this may sound maudlin or it may sound humorous. Uh, to some people, it may even sound downright silly, but I'm going to be just 100% frank with you guys. You know, one of the things that got me back into reading the Kabbalion was I was writing this book called One Simple Idea. It was the history of the positive mind movement. Mm-hmm. And somehow, I think it was probably through my friend, uh, Philip Desleep, who's a scholar of religion. Um, I came across a cover story in TV Guide magazine from 1982 about the comedic actor Sherman Hemsley, who used to play George Jefferson on the hit show, The Jeffersons. And the headline on the story is, um, you'll never guess how he lives or what he believes in. And I thought, well, what is this all about? And he told the reporter who was doing this TV guide cover story that everything in his acting career was sort of very fitful. It was, it was stop and go, stop and go. And then he said, I found, (laughs) he said, I found, I found the man with the book and everything moved forward for him. And the reporter said, what book? And he said, well, I don't want to be advertising any book. And he wouldn't tell him. His housemate, a man named Andre Pavone, told the reporter that the book was the Kabbalion. And he said to him, you've got to read it, man. And so the reporter would ask Hemsley questions like, you know, you're known as a bit of a recluse. You don't hang around at Hollywood parties or restaurants. And he said, nothing's real there. Everything that goes on goes on in the mind. And upon discovering that, I just thought to myself, he was so genuine and he was so real even to the point where he didn't want to say the name of the book not because he was being coy but just because he didn't want to be seen as some celebrity endorser of anything there was such substance to his remarks that that that's partly what got me looking back into the thing i get very influenced by different personas so i don't have any story of you know hermes appearing at my bedside or you know (laughs) the great the great trismegistus you know telling me in a dream you have to go to egypt but um I will share that story as something that, that that redirected my gaze to the book. Yeah, did you know that he was, he was at a pretty big part in the science fiction movie uh, from the 50s, Kronos? You ever see that movie? No, sir. Yeah, it's a big thing about power. You know, he, was, he played a computer scientist. They had the, a big computer called Susie, and they, uh, you wouldn't believe it. They have had calculators and tape recorders uh, portraying the computer. It's funny. Go oh, check no it kidding. out. I yeah. might check it out tonight. You know, I might light up and check that out tonight. So yeah, you'll recognize we'll his voice. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. That's very interesting. Thank you. 
Very cool. Very cool. And yeah, <clears throat> I love the actors. I was looking at the credits, Mitch, and the 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 girl who plays the whatever lunar powers the divine feminine in the movie her name is athena sanchez i was like that is a cool that's like a secret agent superhero name you know? right 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 athena sanchez perfect it so. was such a wonderful group of people the the composition the 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 orchestral score is beautiful that's out now as as an album so if people watch the movie and they dig the orchestral score as I do, you can get that on uh, Amazon music, uh, Apple music, you, you name it. So that's out there too, as a soundtrack album. Oh, definitely check it out. And I know you wanted to talk about where people can see it. Might as well do this now. I think you have an event tomorrow. Oh yeah. For those of you who are in the New York area, uh, we're going to be screening the movie live uh, at Film Noir Cinema, which is a classic art house cinema in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Uh, And that's going to be tomorrow night, Saturday night, February 19th at 7. You can find that on my social media. And for those of you who don't live in the New York area and want to watch the movie, it's just about everywhere. You can find it on Amazon, Xbox, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, you name it. Awesome. Awesome. And it just came out like what, a month ago or so? Or uh, Yeah, about, about a month ago. Yeah. Okay. And it premiered as the number three documentary on iTunes, which blew us away, you know, because we just didn't know how it was going to be received. And there it was right below that Anthony Bourdain documentary. I think it's called Roadrunner. And uh, yeah. there's our surrealistic occult documentary number three on, on iTunes. So we were quite stoked. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Well, like you said, there's a very big interest in the book. People have asked me to do shows through the years. Mm -hmm. People quote it, ask me what I think. And I think, you know, I read it and I was very inspired by it. So, uh, but, you know, I I think I, I was remarking earlier, it's probably one of the most widely read underground books in a cult in, 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 in history. You know, I mean, it exists in dozens upon dozens of editions uh, by all logic, it shouldn't sell at all because you can download the thing for free on your phone. But you know that's not the way I read books that are that are that are a, a, a source of treasure to me, a hallowed source to me. So there's all these many dozens of editions, and I I I think you know the thing probably sells. I would guess in in all of its multiple editions, uh, probably. Certainly, tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand copies a year, which is remarkable for this anonymous occult text written in 1908. Wow. But it, it's really it's proven one of the most popular occult books of the past century. And what does the title mean? I, I never even asked that question. No one knows. No I, one I knows. see. It seems to me, <laughs> it's like yeah, right, like a Brock. No one knows what that means. It seems to me <laughs> that. Uh, that the title was Atkinson's attempt to render Kabbalah into a Hellenized version. So it seems like a Hellenic version of Kabbalah, but he never commented on it. So we don't know. So we're left with this title, the Kabbalion. Oh my God. That would be very, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's like what Silicon Valley does. We're going to change the spelling of something and just make it look really cool or something. Right, 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 right. Right, exactly. My favorite, uh, 
corporate misappropriation of a slogan is there's a car, I don't know if it's still being sold, called the uh, Morano. Um, and uh, Morano was the term for a secret Jew during the Inquisition. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Somebody in their market <laughs> research either had a really great sense of humor or had no fucking clue. I don't know which it was, but you know, it was an odd place for that word to show up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It probably didn't know. Who knows? Probably didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised. Yeah. Then Vince, what did you think of the film? Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I had um, read um, uh, actually uh, yesterday and today. I was uh, listening to the audio book, audio book, and uh, I re- read actually most of the most of the uh, most of the Kabbalion book, and uh, it was great. I I loved the um, Egyptian scenes and how it tied together. You know, it could give you that feeling of antiquity. Yeah and, yeah, and and tying in, you know, the meaning of the different sayings from the Kabbalion to. You know the modern practitioners of uh, you know tarot cards and astrology and so forth, and it's all tied in. You know, yeah. So uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, I appreciate it, Ronnie Thomas, the director. I really have to give all credit to him for creating this kind of impressionistic portrait that applied the ideas from the book. And you know, you know, as as Miguel was alluding, we could have just gone through the whole thing, you know, page by page and. <laughs> Here's Mitch standing in front of Statue X saying, you know, now let's talk about rhythm and then, you know, <laughs> then we'll show a rainbow or whatever. But um, but he really created this very lush impressionistic fabric that applies the ideas of the book, uh, but but to scenes, to people, to concepts that aren't a leaf directly out of the book. So I, I thought you know, all credit to him in that regard. Yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, very good for people who are uh, to introduce people to it because, it, you know, it's a good light thing. You didn't hit people with the all. If if people got hit with the all and the all and all that and that part of the Kabbalion, I think that would blow people's minds. Yeah, yeah. You know, with, with the uh, – but but it's – and, you know, it's uh, another thing that's interesting that's uh, how it all ties together. Each of the seven precepts actually tie together. Um, yes one one to the other so um i can see why it's been popular all these years because people want something that's not too involved to get themselves started yes and so so there you go and there that's what i think the movie uh, does for people i appreciate that gets you going yeah yeah yeah, and it's not overly long. It's like an hour, a little bit more an hour. So. Hour 15, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a good, and it's intense. It keeps you drawn in. So uh, good job. Well, um, before you. the next questions, I wanted to pause for some housekeeping. Uh, as many of you know, the Astronosis Conference, the first AM by conference is at the end of March. Spring equinox, everything's going well. We've got all the speakers coming. Uh, we've just added the pyramid tour. So if you want to uh, buy tickets, we're all going to go to the pyramid of Tulum, the mystic Mayan pyramid right by the Caribbean Sea. So everything is falling together. As you know, too, uh, we've been I've been very fortunate to get some sponsors to help this event going. And uh, everything's looking really good. Uh, Booketed tickets for Gordon White, Chris Knowles, other people coming. So this is our first conference, and we're going to make it to that point where the stars and Gnosticism meet. So a lot of cool ufology archons and all that high weirdness. But one of our sponsors is uh, New Axiom. 
And no, this is not an axiom. The deep state, <laughs> the children kidnapping called it new axiom. And new axiom is a performance health and wellness brand which embraces the ethos expressed by Rudolf Steiner that, quote, for every human illness somewhere in the world, there exists a plant which is the cure. I agree with that 100%. <clears throat> and uh, New Axiom seeks to harness the best remedies nature has to offer to promote optimal health lifestyle. So using only the finest ingredients in their custom formulations, New Axiom offers a wide range of full-spectrum and broad-spectrum hemp products designed to alleviate pain, anxiety, and inflammation while promoting recovery, balance, moods, states, and a wide range of other therapeutic benefits. And uh, the good people will be there at the conference if you want to talk to them. I don't, uh, I never take CBD because it just makes me really anxious when I do. I don't react to it, but they uh, offered to use, they told me, why don't you try our bomb? And for years, uh, when I was younger playing soccer, rugby, and tennis, my, my knees were completely destroyed. Yoga has really helped me make my knees better, but I tried the new Axiom bomb on my knees, and man, my knees are pretty much back. They're not sore anymore. They work really well. So this stuff is, uh, I'm a believer in the whole CBD therapeutic, and Steiner found, he's right, I found something for my knee, but you can use uh, these products for so many things. So please make sure to visit newaxiom, N-E-U-A-X-I-O-M.com, and they are running a special too. Um, so use the discount code AMBY to receive 20% off your first per your first purchase. And I'll have it on the show notes. You guys can see it on the screen right now, or just let me know, or we'll see you at the conference. Uh, yeah. And, uh, again, you get a whole bunch of stuff at this website, like, uh, muscle recovery bombs, anti, like I did anti-aging facials, tinctures, gummies, gel cap, gel caps. Pet drops. You might need some peanut for your anxiety. Yes, yes, shaking your tail <laughs> and more. <laughs> no, now that she's getting older. So check out New Axiom and stay away from Nexium. So that's that for the <laughs> housekeeping. <laughs> and let's get back. Any questions from the audience, Vince? Yeah. Um, um, Oracle is uh, asking again. Uh, is the idea of making a documentary on ESP in your future? Oh, wow. I really appreciate that question very much. Um, I just delivered a talk uh, called um, Case Closed, ESP is Real, which you can find on YouTube. And I dedicate an extensive chapter uh, to my defense of academic uh, ESP research in a forthcoming book called Daydream Believer. The evidence that we possess uh, just from a, a standard Western rationalistic model for the existence of ESP is absolutely overwhelming. And the resistance to this uh, evidence is not skepticism, it's sentiment. It's it's just sentiment at this point. You know, some people just conceptually want to believe that ESP cannot exist because it cannot exist. It, 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 it In fact, not only I mean, it, it might violate common observation in terms of our day-to-day -day quotidian lives, although there are certainly exceptions to that. But the, the, the people who founded modern science, you know, quantum mechanics and the uncertainty principle and string theory and the many worlds theory and, and questions of interdimensionality, all of these people 
were philosophical idealists in that they believed that perception interplayed with reality. That's at the basis of modern science, and so is ESP. And we are going to eventually, we as a culture, we as a human community, um, many people have already accepted this. Many people watching the show have already accepted this, and, and rightly so, which is that there, there's, there's extra physical activity of mind. We are not just creatures of cognition and, and motor skill. And so... To answer your question directly, I, I don't have immediate plans, but that's something I would love to do. I would love to do because I feel like we need to open up new vistas and we're only going to open up new vistas if we're we're dealing with, with reality as it is. And re, with reality as it is tells us that we have indelible proof of anomalous transfer of information or what we might call ESP or PSI or what have you. We have indelible proof of, of non-local activity of, of thought. And the sooner that we're capable of accepting that as a as a human community, uh, the sooner we can start to move on to, to to bigger questions. I don't know what those questions are going to be, but we need the capacity to ask what's around the next corner. And and this, I feel this deep dedication to ESP research, and that it's 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 very important. It's important to the most basic of, of human questions, which is who are we. Who are we? So I would love to do a documentary on, on ESP. Yeah, great. No, yeah. After after the Kiss the Elder one, though. After Kiss the Elder, right, right. Yeah. Get that so one out of that'll it. fund it. That success will, you know, be the tide that <laughs> probably make a billion dollars yeah. in China, right? <laughs> Just in China. A member of Kiss is probably watching and like, you know, you fucks think you're so funny. We, we busted our ass on that album. So. <laughs> Like I, like the album. I like the album. I like the affection and love. <laughs> well, this is a good lead into the next question, which is: uh, Did you get any pushback um, uh, to making a movie like you know, like a Valiant? Uh, in other words, because it was esoteric or you know, uh, dealt with metaphysical uh, um, uh, subjects. Well, that's it's an interesting question. You know, I mean, there's some, there's always some pushback. You know, um, it's funny. I'm very interested in uh, Neville Goddard, who I have tattooed here on my arm, who's a wonderful mystic, more or less in the New Thought tradition, who died in 1972. Um, <clears throat> I remember when I first started writing about Neville back in 2005, there were some people who really objected to it because they felt a certain custodianship over Neville, like you know. Who are you to be writing about Neville? As if somehow this was this was this was, I don't know, you know, uh, 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 opening up, you know, the tomb of Christian Rosenkreuz, and it shouldn't be done. That, you know? <laughs> and so I experienced two different kinds of pushback. Some people love the Kabbalion, and they feel like you know you're bringing to the Kabbalion to the screen, as if like you know somehow that's act, this act of sullying it, you know, to make this surrealistic occult documentary. And then other people are on this trip, you know, which we were alluding to a little bit earlier, feeling that they attest to their own seriousness by pissing on the Kabbalion as if, you know, they're sort of like they're they're pissing down on something that's airsats hermeticism without really understanding that all of hermeticism is is syncretic and combinative and was 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 until very, very recently in the human story dismissed itself as being an airsats Egyptian philosophy. So as long as you've got your history straight and clear, uh, you don't have to get hung up on these questions of what's real and what's what's airsats. We human beings have been have been sewing together this quilt of of traditions that we call religion or spirituality since since time immemorial, literally. And so I got a little bit of pushback at the margins, you know, from 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 those areas. Uh, but that was about it. You know, I, I didn't feel institutionally there's any pushback. Um, 
uh, you know, a couple of people were concerned about the nudity in the film. Um, you know, there, there are, you know, some scenes of full frontal nudity, but it's done so tastefully and it's so natural and real. A little bit of pushback there, but, but otherwise not much. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Miguel, we got time for another couple of questions. No, I got two me, more. Uh, no, I wanted to talk a, a couple of other things, especially we're talking about ESP. Um, first, I want to say, I know you turned me on to Neville Goddard. I think it was 2018. Uh, only this summer, Mitch, I started using his meditations and they fucking rock. Oh, I'm oh gonna wow. YouTube, YouTube's going to strike me down, but they effing <laughs> rock. I started doing the, the waterfall meditation meditation the review the day meditation and then there's the other one where you imagine any goal and it's amazing i feel yeah. great if anything yeah. i feel just awesome the next day so yeah i would i would tell individuals if there's any guided meditations or rita's meditations this stuff is it's awesome and it, in a way it's very hermetic contemplation imagination yes. the universe is mind it's all yes there. yes it's interesting you know like I'm always looking for parallel insights. You know, there isn't this neat family tree of spiritual ideas because these ideas, they got truncated, they got interrupted. So, for example, people here in the United States who were considered the progenitors of the New Thought Movement or the Positive Mind Movement in the mid-19th, late-19th century, a lot of these people grew up in rural uh, circumstances. You know, they maybe had just a, a couple of books in their household, one of which might have been the King James Bible, might have been a couple of other books on manners and morals. It wasn't like they had translations of the, the Bhagavad Gita or, you know, the hermetic literature available to them. But on their own, they came up with certain insights that could be considered parallel insights. And that's where I always like to follow that centrail. I always feel that when you discover parallel insights among people who are separated by vast stretches of geography and language and culture, there's something there. Then we're getting down to the basics of some kind of human truth, a universal truth. So, you know, when we talk about things like, you know, uh, interpretations of quantum theory or string theory or what have you today, uh, the idea that, you know, perception interplays with the world or that the universe is mental, you find within the classical hermetic literature certain such references like humanity born of of what the greeks called noose or a higher mind or an overmind and everything emanating through these concentric circles and the individual being able in his own realm to create as this higher mind created but our realm is also one of physical limitations which we have experienced and so it's interesting to look for not interconnections because history is not that neat but parallel insights yeah, very, very well said, I would say, too. And I guess this is the point I want to talk to. Yes, uh, obviously, the Hermetics and even the Christian Gnostics, Neoplatonists, to believe in the news. There was a giant mind emanating, and we were manifestations of its imagination, you know, mm -hmm. how bad things got or how good things are. That was an argument that all these sects came, and Hermes became sort of the patron of the occult, you know, mm -hmm. and historically, yes, alchemy and so much was, as we talked about, smuggled through the Egyptians, through the Hermetics and the Gnostics to the Western world. Renaissance, I don't want to get into a history lesson, but the idea that our minds had power that the ancients knew, especially those who studied. 
and it was also very scientific in the 19th century. You know, Freud believed in telepathy, William James. Uh, you could probably name 10 other big guys who believed that it was natural. As I've talked, I talked to Gary Lockman a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, you know, uh, it's natural. This dog could predict an earthquake hours before. Mm -hmm, no mm -hmm. problem. Or can predict things that we cannot, to us, is supernatural. But these powers were actually are natural to humans they're not supernatural yes we are mind we are connected through our mind we can see remember the future if we really try but what happened mitch because like you said uh hermes got mocked in the 18th century and in the 19th century but in the 20th century this idea of telepathy and esp just got crushed even though it was accepted in the victorian era what yes. happened what do you think happened? It's an interesting question, and I, I, I ponder it you know, from time to time. I think um, you know, here you have this philosophy called materialism, which is really the belief that matter creates itself, and that's the beginning and the end of everything. And I think that as the 20th century got underway, materialism so completely attached itself to science as an ideology that it seemed synonymous with science, which it's not, you know, I was, I mean, what is science? It's methodological replication. You know, what else, what else is it? You know, and some of the, as I was describing the progenitors of modern science, they believed in perceptual analysis. They were philosophical idealists and they were scientists, but somehow the materialists became almost the the front office, uh, the PR office, the storefront uh, for science. <laughs> and so materialism as a philosophy, even though it wasn't held to by the leading lights of modernity, it wasn't held to by Freud, it wasn't held to by Einstein, it wasn't he held to by, by, by Erwin Schrodinger, it wasn't held to by um, <clears throat> a, a whole wide range of, of, of psychological and, 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 and physical thinkers, you know, I mean, you name it, you know, William James, Max Planck, and so forth. These weren't materialist figures, and yet materialism was able to sort of like uh, erect itself as a kind of Potemkin village in front of science and became science's gatekeeper. And uh, materialism uh, triumphed, you know, to the point where there are very few parapsychology labs on college campuses today, to the point where if a young person said, gee, I'd love to become a parapsychologist, well, Unfortunately, it's very, very hard to find or structure such such program, you know, and um, we've lost, you know, a generation, maybe two generations of progress uh, in psychical research, among other sciences, I suspect, because of this. So it's, it's actually a really anti-intellectual position that's become very successful. And so all the things that were so hopeful in the Victorian era around psychical research, it's not that they were stopped cold, but they, they, the progress has been much slower and it's been stymied, but we may be turning a corner with that, you know, and I don't speak easily about such things, but the very fact that, that there's been such an uptick in UFO disclosure and that the UFO question is one that no serious person can dismiss or deny. <laughs> I mean, I was a kid, you know, you brought up UFOs, somebody would say, oh, you know, swamp gas, little green men, weather <laughs> balloons, you know, nobody says that anymore because it would be embarrassing. It would just be intellectually embarrassing and silly. 
So there's a live question there. That opening may also create an opening in, in, in psychical research, just as the opening in like microdosing and psychedelics, you know, it's creating openings in terms of how we think about the uses of the mind. So uh, we may be turning the corner. Oh, I agree. At the same time, I'm going to first, I'm going to put my tinfoil hat and say, of course, I blame the Rockefellers and all that. Because <laughs> let's be realistic, Mitch. I mean, the idea of remote viewing, the Russians and the Americans have been doing it. Ingo Swan, mm -hmm. Lynn Buchanan, they've been doing this and they've, and with great effect. I mean, this is not, this is scientific. In fact, I was laughing. You see the whole Ukraine Russia thing. What are they going to invade? And what does Putin think? And I'm like, you guys are all just jackasses. I know that the United States has a remote viewer. They know exactly what Russia is going to do. Russians have remote viewers. They know exactly what Americans are going to do. Well, maybe not Biden. There's nothing in the, you know, there's only <laughs> porridge in it. But they, and they know. So all of this is just uh, radels. It's just, it's a game because they know exactly if there's a war, they know when it's coming. It's all just theater. Now, taking away my, <laughs> tinfoil hat um jeffrey mishlove when i asked him that his mm -hmm. was more down to earth he said it's the behavior behavioralist came in it wasn't practical to worry about the unconscious or about psychic powers for us to have a fast moving industrial society mm -hmm. we kind of mm -hmm. had to get rid of that and you know just nine to five turn the the wheels you know it just made more sense that's why the Jungians and the parapsychologists kind of got thrown to one side. Well, I think there's truth to that. You know, there's absolutely truth to that. We are a society that prioritizes efficiency and efficiency isn't always a bad thing. Efficiency has accomplished a lot for us. Um, but efficiency can't become an orthodoxy and that's what has occurred. And that makes it so difficult for us to probe these questions. We also haven't found I think probably a great way of monetizing these questions yet. If there was a way to monet, I mean, look, we found a way to monetize psychedelics. That's no problem. And, you know, a few months ago, I was reading an article in the New York Times about the different states that are slackening their laws around psychedelics that are making it possible for people to uh, use psychedelics for pharmacological purposes, to which I say, bravo, bravo. But one has to keep in mind, and I don't mean this in a cynical way. These are just the facts. You know, who's writing this legislation? You know, some poor, you know, state legislative <laughs> aide in the state of Delaware is not sitting up all night writing, you know, a 40-page <laughs> bill. It's it's getting written by lobbyists and getting passed on by lobbyists who have a financial stake in this. And, you know, that's part of our world. I mean, commerce is 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 part of the human situation. And and I think that you know, it's easy to find a way to monetize. Uh, psychedelia. We have a lot of cultural prejudices that are that are that are barriers that we have to get over, and I think we will get over them. But that can be monetized. It's it's not as easy to figure out how to monetize this stuff. I mean, you you could do corporate spying and stuff like that, but you can also do that under the table, you know. And so um, that that might might be an aspect of it as well. I mean, there are many the, whole, the whole rights thing, it could be a problem if we're reading each other's minds, God forbid. Well, yeah, well, people kind of give it away on social media anyway. Right. I mean, you can just about hack anything, you know, God forbid. <laughs> or they'll confess, they'll project their shadow or say something embarrassing. Or Right. And, you know, I mean, 
my innermost thoughts are not, you know, that bad, you know, compared to what's on social media. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, it's really not that bad. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Don't forget Las Vegas. Man, they must be really. Oh, that would be the end. Maybe that's why. <laughs> Maybe it all comes down to that. You know, it's like, no way are you guys perfecting this. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Right. But to put it to rest, maybe give uh, the audience a quick summary of your talk that you did. Uh, oh, sure. The science, people talk, well, is it scientific? And you statistically prove it's we're there pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, the rap on uh, ES on academic ESP research is always that it hasn't been replicated. And that's a complete falsehood. That is, is, is a position of absolute sentimentality and imagination. It's, it's, this stuff has been juried, scrutinized, replicated, uh, you know, Daryl Bem, the Cornell university research psychologist in 20, 11 completed a 10-year study, which included experiments into precognition. That stuff in the ensuing years has been replicated in a meta-analysis uh, 90 times in 33 different labs in 14 different nations. 90 times, 33 different labs in 14 different nations. That doesn't mean that every experiment was successful, but meta-analyzed, it well surpassed all the boundaries in science for achieving statistical significance and replicability. I mean, the evidence is just absolutely down cold. Yeah, you said that startups would kill to have the type of research you have for a product or a pharmaceutical. Can you imagine a meta-analysis of you know, where you're attempting a replication 90 different times and you achieve significant statistical um um, uh, a bar, you know, I mean, it, it would be unheard of. We haven't tested aspirin that much, you know, so, um, the, you know, that, and that's just one small piece of the puzzle. I mean, the Zener card experiments that J.B. Ryan did at Duke university in the 1930s. Again, you know, if you go onto Wikipedia, you'll see, Oh, you know, this stuff was never replicated. It's, it's a complete farce. And if you look at the sources on Wikipedia, most of that stuff is sourced back to, you know, presses that are sort of hack presses that are aligned with the professional skepticism movement that are run in many cases, not all the time, but in many cases by bloggers and science activists and science journalists. And it's where the sourcing exists. It's very, very thin and poor. And it's the same closed circuit group of people, but they rule the roost. I mean, I can't affect policy at Wikipedia, but I can tell you that if you go to Wikipedia and you look up Zenercard experiments and see that they've never been replicated, you are being absolutely misinformed. They have been replicated over the course of decades, dozens and dozens of times, down cold and down plain. And my talk is only a half an hour, but I have a forthcoming book out called Daydream Believer, where I have a big chapter on uh, psychical research. And uh, I footnote all of this stuff clear as day. So, um, you know, the facts are the facts. And I'm, I'm absolutely confident that uh, that eventually we 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 travel in the direction of of truth, uh, but it could take a long time to get there. Well, I'm glad you're at the forefront. It's great to see people like you and Dr. Dean Radin and Gary Lockman, all the you know Anthony. There's a whole bunch of researchers out there, really uh, banging the drum because, like you said, for things ain't worked out very well for religion or science. Maybe we need to go the hermetic path and you know maybe that's an option if we want to survive in this planet because like you said uh, you say this is a, a 
It's a form of psychology. It can hear our brains. It's echo-friendly, you know. Even the, the Hermetics and the Christian Gnostics were very much about the world soul and the health of the world. And it balances out the, the forces, the genders. It's just a, it's something we should try, right, Mitch? It's something we should try. And also, um, for budget-minded people out there, this psychical research that I've been describing, it costs peanuts. It costs peanuts. Mm. It's so inexpensive. You know, um, people have said to me, uh, you know, they're glad the government stopped funding this research. It's time to stop wasting the taxpayers' money, a point that's always made to me by tenured professors at state <laughs> universities. Stop wasting the taxpayers' money. And, uh, you know, it's it's just peanuts. I mean, J.B. Ryan sitting in a broom closet somewhere flipping over Zenith cards <laughs> is not expensive, I can assure you. So, you know, it's all just ideology. And um, I don't believe in shutting down questions. And I don't believe in flipping over the chessboard if, if I don't like the direction in which the, the chess game is going or, or the questions are going. And, you know, I'm at a point where it doesn't matter to me whether somebody agrees or disagrees with the ESP thesis. What's important is just not shutting down a question. And um, the issue with the, uh, the professional skeptics is it's not so much that they want to win the debate. They don't want there to be a debate. You know, they want this research to be removed from the public docket. And that's not going to happen. Yeah, it's incredible, as uh, Jeff Kripal calls them. They're not skeptics. They're professional debunkers. And I remember that article you wrote on the amazing uh, Randy. Oh, yeah. The blowback you got was incredible. I wasn't surprised. Yeah. I was kind of like, oh, my God. I mean, they were attacking Substack and you and anything that moved. I mean, it was like <laughs> a, a complete cancel culture campaign because you dared question, you know, a lot yeah. of orthodoxies. So. Yeah. And it makes you wonder, you know, what's behind it uh, in the sense that, um, you know, if you're that hypersensitive, you can't be very confident. Well said, well said. Yeah. It keeps yeah. us going. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, yeah, we are kind of getting towards the end events. A couple questions from you or the audience. Look at um, let's see. Uh, Mr. 1864M wanted to know, what Egyptian timeline do you find most convincing? The current mainstream or a pre-flood civilization or something else? Well, I guess um, I, I don't find the current mainstream timeline uh, convincing. I, 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 I'm very interested in the Shock West thesis. Um, John Anthony West being kind of a heretical Egyptologist who died several years ago and Robert Schock still up and running. And um, they, in the 1980s, uh, West and Schock found that there was water erosion on the oldest portion of the Great Sphinx at Giza. And their thesis has never been overturned and it's also never been studied. Uh, again, you know, this is a Wikipedia special where if you go on there, you'll find all these reasons why they're absolutely wrong, but they're all tangential reasons that are indirect to the actual thesis. And the thesis has never been studied. And it always surprises people to hear that. Well, gee, you know, aren't these... Aren't there these, you know, adventurous, ambitious grad students out there in, in archaeology who want to study this? And yeah, there may be some, but it's very hard to get the funding. It's impossible to get the licenses. It's very politically yes. sensitive, you know, and, and, and so th th that science just sort of stopped. But I thought that they made a compelling case that they never got explored. Yeah, Zai he was right. He was he used to. I don't know. He's getting old now, I suppose. But used to ride herd on anything that departed anything. from from uh, the standard the standard line, you know. And it's 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 again, you know, the, the politics are very very complex. the The pyramids and the ancient Egyptian monuments are extremely important to the modern Egyptian psyche, as they should be. 
you know, the, 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 I'm speaking generally, of course, but the modern Egyptian psyche feels like we, we are the caretakers of the cradle of civilization. And I agree with that. I agree with that. But there's an anxiety in that, that if people come along and they start talking, I'm not an advocate of the ancient astronaut theory. I'm not opposed to it either. It's just something I haven't studied. But if people come along and they start talking about the ancient astronaut theory, which I do not, or if they start talking about predating the timeline of the pyramids, they feel sometimes that this their national heritage is, is, is being threatened. And I don't think that, that that's categorically the case. If you're resetting the timeline in a certain sense, you're only giving us a deeper sense of splendor for the earth civilization that, that ancient Egypt was. Um, it's, it's a question, you know, it's simply a question, but Zahi Hawass back when he was the minister of antiquities, he's out of power now. Um, he would never, he would rarely allow licenses to ever study, you know, any such thing and never mind the impossibility of getting the funding. And if you're a grad student or a junior faculty member who even broaches the wish to study the pyramids, you're looked at funny because that's considered to be settled science. And effectively, you're undermining the research of people who might be your peer advisors, grading your oral exams, uh, approving um, your TA position or, or what have you. You know, the, the, it's difficult to overstate the extent to which politics make studying these things very hard. So we have the Shockwest thesis, which I'm very partial to, um, and we have a generation that's passed without really being able to study it the vested interests yeah and we're all part of it i mean you know i try to watch that in my own life you know wh where is it that i've got my fiefdom carved out and you know my attitude is <laughs> no no get off my lawn you know and i have to watch for that in myself as well yeah, <laughs> yeah we don't like change as even uh yeah we, we like our goodies. Get, yeah. yeah, and we like a routine, no matter how adventurous we think we are. We're all, it's part of being a, pa a pack animal. It's just sort of taking it easy. So, yeah, we all have our orthodoxies and always got to be careful. Any other question, Vance? I think we're clear of the questions. I think we got them. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Good deal. Well, I, I wanted to share one thing before we go. Let me look at my question da, da, da. for the audience. This is, of course, very important because uh, where is it? There you go. There you go. Aha. Music from the elder. <laughs> All right. There's no stopping us now. I like this. No, no, no. So whoever wants to write us a check, probably about $100 million. What do you think, Mitch? I don't know. You know, I think there's probably one, you know, like Steve Wozniak is watching and he's like, oh, my God, that album allowed me to get through adolescence. He's going to take care of it. Yeah. Okay, this is coming. Yeah, yeah, this is coming. Either that or like you said, uh, you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and knock on the door and Gene Simmons is going to put his dragon boot up your ass. Like, right. stop that watching, shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're the one in. <laughs> you think you're funny? With your hermeticism? <laughs> so, <right. laughs> oh, lordy, lordy. Well, awesome. Yeah, I think I've gone through all my questions. Uh, it's been a great discussion. Definitely look forward to your next book, Mitch. Thank you, man. Uh, Thank you. Based on the monkeys. Uh, any reason Adrian you decided Belaber. to? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ah. I go into it in the book. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot of weird correspondences with the monkeys and uh, Daydream Believer is a, a, in its way a pretty melancholy song and, and even though my book is about the power of mind metaphysics it also takes account of, of human suffering uh, which I don't think the mind metaphysics field has done a, a sufficient job at so 
it, it became a kind of perfect bittersweet title, and it's also my tribute to the the band I most love, next to Kiss. So. Ah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. You and I in past shows have talked about the well, and you've given lectures on the shortcomings of the new age esoteric movement. Yep. There, plenty. You know, everything casts a shadow. I, yep. That's what I keep telling people. Everything casts a shadow. Everything can be weaponized. <clears throat> yeah, and I was always thinking we had this conversation one time about uh, who should be the uh, new age pope. And of course, names are three. Right. Gary Lackman, you know, maybe Richard Smoley and all that. Uh, what do you think? These days, I think it should be Marianne Williamson. I think she's doing a fantastic job. <laughs> but I'm the Shirley MacLaine. Come on. <laughs> I think she's retired. Yeah. I just don't want there to be like a new inquisition. I just can't, can't <laughs> deal with that. I simply can't. There can't be a commission of the faithful. <laughs> Nobody expects the crystal inquisition. Right, right. It's the crystal inquisition. <laughs> yeah, what are they going to do? Drown you with incense? I can't or? deal, <laughs> right? I'll, no, I'll be... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, what would they do? What what would happen? You'd be <laughs> Oh, I'm sure we could come up with a lot encounter. Of You'd have to go through encounter group. Essential oils, bath, hot bath. <laughs> right. <laughs> Deep Siva. You have right. to hit yeah. you over the head with a dowsing rod. <laughs> right. There we go. <laughs> uh, it can't be any worse than what the other religions have done but awesome well awesome we are at the end for you guys in the chat room thank as uh, thank you as always for great questions great comments uh looks like you guys were enjoying yourselves pretty much as much as we were highly recommend you go check out the Kibalion. check it out this weekend uh go to brooklyn and watch it as always there will be right after this there'll be the replay on youtube and in a day or two i'll have the audio version out in all podcast providers apples amazon spotify you name it so we'll have that out so check it out and please support mitch's work support am bite support all the alternative people that are trying to bring back this ancient wisdom for a modern meaning and for an alternative to everything that's going on because we definitely need more choices than ever as we try to uh, imagine a better world. So, uh, Vance, thanks again for uh, steering the ship, Vance. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, it was a smooth sailing tonight. It's great to be here with you, Mitch. Likewise. Um, yeah, and Mitch, as always, it's great to talk to you, and we definitely look forward to talking to you or communicating the next time or maybe we'll be on the set of chris the elder you know kiss the elders you know <laughs> right <laughs> marking orders at people yeah so yeah yeah we'll look we'll be looking for cast members so who knows who knows we'll have to we'll have to think of that so high fantasy all right mitch well thank you very thank you much, so much. For, thank you guys appreciate it and for everybody here, thank you. Have thank you. a good weekend. And as I always say, uh, write your own gospel, live your own myth. And till the next time. Thank you. Summoned here to offer your judgment of the boy. Do you see?
still deem him worthy of the fellowship? I certainly do, Lord. Matter of fact, I, I think you're going to like this one. He's got the light in his eyes. And the look of a champion. A real champion. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.